0: This is The Next Level, a brand new show on the Packet Pushers Community Channel where real network professionals charge into difficult IT management situations, lead from the front, and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive the positive change you want to see. We'll take you from CLI to CIO. I'm Damien Hoising from Packet Brigade. You can find me on Twitter at Packet Brigade. Hi, and I'm Drew Conry
1: Murray from Packet Pushers, and you can find me on Twitter at Drew CM, and thanks for joining us. So when was the last time you were frustrated or wondered why the best technical solution wasn't funded in your organization? On today's episode, we're going to talk uh, about IT financial strategy, and we've got a couple of uh, IT executives who are going to give us some clues on, on how that works.
0: Joining us today is Alan Ingram, former CTO of Associated Estates Realty Corporation. Alan, please introduce yourself and tell the audience a bit about your technical and business background. Certainly.
2: Um, Alan Ingram, uh, finishing up a four-year run as CTO at Associated Estates Realty, uh, if you followed the press. Uh, Our company was sold to uh, Brookfield Financial back in uh, August, so uh, finishing up a transition I'll be done by the end of the year. And we'll be moving on to bigger and brighter things uh, as far as from a uh, history standpoint uh, before joining associated estates spent a year at a startup max wellness uh, started by a uh, former um, founder of office max michael foyer uh, also held leadership positions at home shopping network in uh, florida as well as price Warehouse coopers so i've uh, been doing this for over 25 years and still uh, still at it so glad to be here thanks for the invite
0: if it's okay, I wanted to add, plug one more thing, Alan, because the primary audience are network engineers. I just wanted to plug, because I know a little bit about your background, that you also were a network art architect and that you worked your way up from uh, the trenches of network engineering. Is that right? Uh, that's correct.
2: Uh, I was the um, network um, uh, architect for uh, Home Shopping Network for almost a decade, so pretty much anything network-related at the time with, uh, was uh, typically designed and implemented by me or my team. So yes.
1: Fantastic. Uh, our other guest today is Jonathan Feldman. He's the CIO of the city of Asheville, North Carolina. Jonathan, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Absolutely. Drew. Well, first of all, thanks for the, the, the tip off there, Damien. Uh, I, I am a uh, an old infrastructure and security guy, <laughs> 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 and uh, I've, I've wrangled the uh, Cisco, Cisco 6509s and all that kind of stuff, but I'm uh, the CIO for the city of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I'm not a public administration guy by training. I went to business school, not to public administration school, and so that. That's a little bit different than most of my peers, and that sets up some interesting things. Like Alan, I've been in IT for, gosh, probably more than 25 years if I really uh, sit down and count it, because like a lot of your listeners, probably, I've been doing this stuff since I was a teenager. Um, And I've done everything from program video games to configure databases to uh, firewalls and you know, content protection, and been an email administrator. I've been an RS6000 administrator. Uh, so I've, I've, I've done a lot of jobs in IT, and for the last 10 years, I've been here at the city of Asheville, and we've done some really neat things, uh, things that people thought weren't possible in government, so that's been fun. Uh, and before that, I was director of professional services for a uh, infrastructure and security consulting firm, and we, we serve military, law enforcement, um, municipalities, hospitals, and banks. So it's uh, it's been a fun
0: ride. Uh, Jonathan, since we were talking with you, uh, I noticed in your blog you mentioned that no one likes a whiner and that credibility is about helpfulness in IT budget conversations. So I'd like to lead off with you on a question. Sure. When engineers or employees are requesting your approval for expenditures, what cost justification information is actually useful in making the decision?
3: Oh, it's it's definitely most useful if, you know, it's led with, Armageddon is going to happen unless we do this, so give me a lot of money. <laughs> that, that's the most useful thing. No, kidding. Um, You've got to, first of all, understand that money is not just money. Money actually has a time component to it. And so if you're saying... We need to spend $100,000. When you say $100,000, there's a default time period that is assumed. And, and what, what someone hears is they hear $100,000, and we're going to need to do this again soon, right? And not, hey, we've been operating on this infrastructure for eight years now, and so now we have to put $100,000 into it, and we won't have to touch it for another five to eight years or whatever, right? So that's very helpful. Um, it's also really, really helpful. And I know that this is, uh, you know, sort of a, a well-worn adage, but it's really helpful to actually know how is this going to impact the business, right? And, and by that, I mean your fellow employees. But I also mean how's it going to impact customers are customers going to have a better response time are they less likely to go elsewhere is it delighting customers is you know all that stuff right because too often when you bring too often the person with the money the person with the with the purse strings doesn't understand anything about bits and bytes and so if you're saying well you know we got double Nat here, and that's a problem. They're going. You might as well be saying, like in the Peanuts, wah, 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 <laughs>
1: wah, 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 wah,
3: because they don't understand you. And so you need to speak in their
2: language is the, is the most helpful thing.
1: And Alan, is there anything you want to add to that?
2: Um, you know, I've, I've been on both sides, uh, or I guess in two different worlds. Um, you know, spending a year at a startup, you know, asking for money is a real, real, real easy question. It's no, because there is no money. So um, <laughs> you have to um, you have to be pretty uh, uh, you have to get your um, uh, thinking outside the box and, and your creativity in gear because literally there is no money. So whether you do open source, whether you you know literally put the MacGyver at it and, and build servers out of baling wire and uh, and some um, and some cardboard boxes. So you know, that's obviously one end of the spectrum. Uh, being with a public company here for the last four years, you know I hate surprises. Uh-huh. And my team, my team knows that I hate surprises, and you know we we've built a pretty good planning uh, routine and a, and a planning structure. And um, you know, one of this what I what I think a, a, an executive responsibility is is to know the needs of your customer. And you know, we we've spent a pretty good amount of time and effort. You know, meeting and, and working closely with our customers to know what they need um, you know, for the next 12 months while budgeting, while budgeting um, um, season is in, in, is, is in gear. So we kind of know what our next 12 months are going to be. And that doesn't mean that we're not hit you know, on the side of such. something breaks new and something hits new and you know, it, it, it makes a need for something that we could not have foreseen. But we've had a pretty good historical line of properly planning, Uh, and and basically knowing what we're doing and and having the money allocated, you know, being with a public company, I mean, again, it's the CIO's responsibility and leadership responsibility to be able to verbalize the needs of of what you see and to avoid the deer in the headlights look Uh, because, you know, it's very easy for people that are not technologists. You know, one of the sayings that always say is that, hey, if we all knew all this technology, I'd have to be digging ditches, you know, so there is a specialized sense of things on what you do. Um, So... uh, when, when the team comes to me during the, during the planning session, it, it's not a, you know, we do blue sky to a point, but there has to be a financial, um, you know, handshake as far as from a savings standpoint right. or from elimination of duties or systems or, or consolidation of such, you know, before we do spend money. So, I mean, when, you know, when you develop that trust with your uh, financial piece of the company. Then when you go to them and you say, "Hey, I need X, Y, and Z," they're pretty much going to say, "Okay, here's money for X, Y, and Z." You know, now if you go the opposite and you just basically, um, you know, you violate that trust or, or, or such, then you're going to have problems, you know, trying to justify that uh, as time comes uh, in the future.
0: If it's okay, I'd like to try to summarize some of the things you gentlemen mentioned. One of them was that nobody likes surprises and sort of and, and so that really means uh, planning and spending within your plan and within your strategic plan, and that sort of dovetails with uh, not liking FUD so much or the Armageddon situation. Um, you also mentioned that we should relate the cost or the return on investment uh, and the total cost both to the initial outlay and, and the over time. So so 100 like you mentioned 100 thousand dollars not just now but you know how, what's the frequency. Um, and then also, you really talked a lot about providing value to your customers, which is interesting. Um, I, I've heard—I don't know how true it is—that sometimes a CTO is more technology-focused on outside towards the customers, and a CIO is more internally focused to the organization. But one thing I'd like to kind of challenge you both on—I think your your advice is very sage about engineers need to talk straight and, and talk from the business perspective to talking to C-level executives. But since you both have a strong technical background, have you ever had a case where somebody came to you to request an expenditure and you were able to call BS on them sort of because you knew technically that it was totally out of uh, out of whack?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was necessarily, you know, a lot of it's not necessarily they're trying to pull one on, uh, on me or on our group. It's more of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So again, you know, there, there has to be a reason why you're at a particular leadership level. And, and having that information and having that knowledge base, you can mentor your staff to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? You know, it's not a matter of being the uh, benevolent dictator. Uh, It's more along the lines of, you know, basically training people and bringing them up as as the way you think they should be. So, yeah, sure, there's been times, um, and there'll be times in the future. But a lot of it's not because someone's trying to pull something over. It's more of just the the lack of knowledge.
3: I I agree with that. And uh, I would also say that, you know, the old saw about the four blind men and the elephant, right? One person says, hey, it's a tail. One person says, hey, it's a trunk. I, I think that sometimes as an engineer, you're really familiar with your aspect of the infrastructure, right? So if you're the core router dude or dudette, then that's what you address. You might not understand that on the storage side, there, you know, there's much graver needs. And so I think a lot of times you've got to start quantifying um, you know, your dollar exposure. And you got to start doing risk management. You know, what's the probability of something bad happening? What's the benefit of, of uh, using a different technology? Can you lower costs? Can you increase efficiency? Can you cut headcount? You know, um, so I think a lot of times, you know, when I got to the city, right, they were ready to spend a bunch of money on a sand. And I drew everyone into a room. I didn't say no, but we threw up on a you know up on a, uh, a flip chart. Well, what are the things that are problematic and troublesome? And when when it came time to prioritize, that sand was like way down on the list because you know there, at the time there wasn't, and we have a sand now, of course, but at the time it wasn't the highest best use of money, and money is always limited, and you've got to determine what the highest and best use is for that.
1: And that gives us a good point to jump into the next question. If you're talking about uh, people who are technically astute but maybe don't have a strong background in finance, what are some you know essential fiscal literary skills or literacy skills that uh, an aspiring manager or leader should have in their back pocket if they want to advance?
2: You know, we don't teach writing in school anymore. (laughs) Um, We don't teach uh, handwriting. We don't teach anything from, uh, you know, you got to understand that, you know, the people that are coming up right now, you know, they know LOL and all these other acronyms and such, but they really don't know how to talk and they don't really, you know, they have a real, they have a big problem of communicating. You know, it's been a historical thing because engineers, in most cases, and and, and, uh, as a standard, they're kind of quirky by nature. So, you know, it's always, I mean, you're never going to get too far until you know how to communicate. And, uh, you know, obviously from an executive standpoint, you, you, you're you going to have, have a tough time getting to that level if you can't communicate. So, you know, whether it's, um, you know, practicing writing, I mean, again, even something in an email, um, You, I'm sure John is the same way. I mean, you'd be stunned at some of the emails you get and you're like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. So I mean, you know, communication is is just key. I mean, it really is. I mean, I can't express it enough to to know how to communicate. You know, sometimes you really have to go against the grain as far as what your what your um, your actual personality is, because, like I said, we are quirky by nature. Um, but I don't know. I just I just have to keep focusing on the communication aspect.
1: Mm-hmm. And are there any you know is there any basic finance information that you would say folks who want to move up the the executive ladder should get a grasp of?
2: You know, and I'm, I'm sometimes I'm stunned at um, people showing up for interviews that don't know anything about the company that they're interviewing with. So you know, know as much as you can about the company you're working with. You know, a lot of people just like to pigeonhole themselves and say, you know, I'm a router person. I know routers. I'm good at routers. You got a question about routers? I can answer a question about routers. It's routers, routers, routers. <laughs> uh, but you know, you're you're part of the team, uh, and hopefully the. Um, Uh, you know, the the company uh, mantra and basically the company, um, um, just the overall aspect of the company, you're you're encouraged to branch out to learn more about the company that you're with Uh, because it it helps your job, you know, it helps for what you're doing. You know, one of the things that we did here at uh, Associated Estates is I implemented a thing called a day in life and pretty much what I did was at least one day a year, uh, you're going out to uh, a client, you're going out to a property in our case, we're a REIT, so it's properties. And you're going to spend a the day there. You're going to spend a day. You're going to walk around with the people that are working there. Your client, your 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 customer, and you're going to figure out what you're going to understand what they do, and you're going to basically eat the dog food for a for a full day. And it really helped. You know, it was it had benefit on both sides. I mean, the the customer was glad to get you know the the IT people out, and of course the IT was glad to see uh, you know the the whole you know day in life of the customer. So. You know you, you got to know what you're doing and it's not just a matter of clicking a button and and knowing you know about the hardware. It's part of it, but it's it's not the big picture.
1: So that kind of ties back to something you mentioned earlier, Jonathan about you know is this IT project going to delight the customer and if you don't have an idea what you actually do for the customer, then how could you know them?
3: Well, that's right. and I chuckled I chuckled when Alan was talking about the uh, you know 10 page long rambling emails. Um, there there's, there's a link. I wrote a blog posting about that on uh, Feldman.org. It's called Too Long Didn't Read. Your Career Depends on Executive Summaries. And I, I think budget requests also you know, depend upon executive summaries. I, I couldn't agree more that you know, communication is a really key skill. Um, I also think that, especially if you're a senior network engineer, you've you got to understand a little bit about time value of money, right? You, you've got to, you know... You've, so you're, you've gotta, you're talking about
1: depreciation and that kind of thing?
3: Talking about depreciation, I'm talking about, you know, an awareness that there is a life cycle to equipment, right? That, you know, you here's how long the equipment lasts, here's how much we're spending in maintenance every year. It, it's a, a major problem when someone... Uh, says hey let's buy this thing and then they underestimate what the maintenance is going to be and then that's to alan's point a big surprise which is a no-no right
0: <laughs> yeah that's a good point so it sounds like total cost of ownership and we all like to pick on Spartan every now and then but basically a rule of thumb of 18 percent a year for maintenance or something like that as part of the tco and then and then understanding what the roi is for the company based on, hey, I want to upgrade this router, well, not just because it's great or it's faster or it has more cache or something, but that it's actually going to pr- translate to a tangible business value within the life cycle of the device. Does that make my on the right page there? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: There's two trains of thoughts. You know, it's... A lot of people like to just run hardware till it literally melts, okay? And, you know, depending on your business and depending on, you know, what you're trying to supply and the service you're trying to create, that's not necessarily a very good... Um, Uh, plan of attack, you know, it's not a matter of when it's going to break. It's a matter, or it's not a matter of if it's going to break, it's when it's going to break. So, you know, you have to plan accordingly, you know, servers are going to be, you know, X amount of years. Routers are going to be X amount of years. Firewalls are going to be X amount of years. Sometimes you have to, you know, uh, you have to push that off because maybe there is some budget constraints. But if you start getting out of that kind of from a plan and a model standpoint, you really start the risk really—it's—it's it's the hockey stick graft. Your risk really will will just blow out the end because you really need to to refresh your your systems. You know that you know we can get into a whole you know cloud discussion depending on where you spend and how you spend. But again, you know the the whole concept of just running something till it breaks—it's not really um, unless you're a startup doesn't 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 work too well.
3: And it's actually more expensive to run to failure. Catastrophic failure is actually more costly, right? Because maybe you have recovery costs, you have downtime. IT doesn't see that there are hourly employees sitting on their hands, but the business sees that. And then ultimately what might end up happening is that folks have to work overtime that week because of system unavailability, and that costs the business money. So, you know, it's... uh Inevitably more expensive than than planned uh, replacement.
0: I wholeheartedly agree with that as a former infrastructure guy myself. Um, but I'd like to play a little bit of the devil's advocate. I mean, could we think about this? Should the man should the engineer think about this in terms of annualized loss expectancy? So, for example, they may have a, a switch in a switch closet somewhere serving a small group of users. Maybe running that one to failure wouldn't be such a big annualized loss expectancy of say letting your data center core uh you know go to failure as long as you have an
3: agreement with the business on that one that's great as long as you know your business understands what the risk is
2: uh sure go for it well and too you can you can mitigate those as well too i mean you obviously to to john's point you do need an uh, agreement on the business of what what um what constitutes, you know, proper uptime and downtime? You know, in our case, you know, it was four or five nine, so it didn't matter anyway. Um, but you know, you can you can mitigate those risks too. So to your point, using your example, Damien, you know, maybe it's cheaper to run it till it run it till it till it um, uh, till it dies. But you've already got a hot swap or a, a, a swap available for it where your downtime is going to be minimal. So you know, there's ways to get around even
0: that. Getting kind of back towards the fiscal and budget side of things, I'm interested to ask you, gentlemen, and I'll start with you, Alan, uh, what some of the toughest funding or budget constraints you faced and, and how you adjusted your strategy to accomplish your goals.
2: Well, I don't want to go too deep into it, but, you know, being in a startup, I mean, there's no money. Literally, there's no money. So you can't get pretty much any more of a constraint than that. So, uh, but let's look at reality a bit and, and look at, like, for instance, a public company, for instance. Um you know, I was in a, I guess, in a pretty, pretty unique situation because <clears throat> they created the CIO position when I started here four years ago, and they basically needed some leadership. They needed to, you know, take the the company up to uh, a higher level from a technology standpoint. So, quite frankly, they probably would have given me anything I asked for, okay, uh, within reason. So, you're, you're in a unique situation where you don't want to violate that trust either. So. Um, you know, I just go back to what I said. I mean, you know, we did not uh, we did not purchase, we did not uh, you know bring any more hardware in uh, than than what uh, the business needed and what we could actually service and, and show a, a value add for. Um, you know, and I guess it gets more on the creative side. You know, we were some early adopters with uh, hyperconvergence, and uh, we were facing a uh, issue of staff. Uh, we lost our storage guy, great storage guy. He rebuilt our entire storage infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. Really had it screaming and really had it uh, running like butter. And, uh, you know, as, as engineers do, they're, they're, they're quite, uh, you know, when they've done what they want to do, they go on to something else and, you know, we lost them. So rather than, you know, going after another storage person, um, you know, hyper, hyperconvergence uh, actually hit about that time. And we took a risk. It was a it was a big risk bringing uh, we brought in simplivity, and uh, we didn't need a storage person. So uh, it was one of those things where not necessarily a funding thing, uh, but you know sometimes staffing is a funding crisis because you literally can't find staff. So um, you know we were able to get around it in that regard.
0: So. uh, that's a really excellent point. Sort of the staff can have an infinite cost when there's zero availability. Absolutely. And that, that, that's quite a constraint in itself. Um, I'm curious, Jonathan, uh, working in government, have you had any challenges perhaps related to strings being attached to certain funds or a lot of limits on how funds are spent?
3: Oh, sure. I mean, you, you run into a lot of grant restrictions. Um, but, but, you know, what. I've never worked in any business, right? I've worked in large corporate, I've worked in small corporate, I've worked in mid sized government. I've never been in any organization where money was plentiful for IT because in a lot of organizations, and, and a lot of organizations try to minimize IT cost. Now, I think that's changing a little bit because business leaders are starting to understand that when you use technology, when you spend more money on technology, you actually can spend less money, a lot less money in some places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, see also Google, see also Amazon, right?
0: Yeah, and IT driving revenue generation.
3: That's right. And and you start making more money per employee when you have uh, technology as a lever. But certainly, I mean, we've, we've uh, run into various kinds of constraints in terms of not having enough to uh, tackle a business goal. Um, generally, the strategy that works is to say, okay, well, it's not that we want to virtualize, right, which we wanted to do 10 years ago. It's that we want to deploy a new ERP, which is going to solve business problems. And oh, by the way, everybody, last I checked, there was a little stack called the OSI stack. <laughs> and you need hardware and you need operating systems underneath that new ERP. And it's true that there's no general money available for hardware refresh, but this is a very important business project. And that business project, voila, has money in it to do that hardware refresh, right? So I think you've got to connect. I think the most successful strategy for your audience is going to be connect those infrastructure projects to something higher in the stack seek funding there
0: that's a really interesting perspective i'm trying to process that a little bit um from what you're saying it sounds a lot more significant than sort of the paperclip rule writing the coattails of a of an application um development Do you have to think about it in terms of chargeback and, and, you know, thinking about the percent of use of that? uh, Or is there – I guess is anybody ever going to ask you a technical question like, gee, is that really going to push so much bandwidth you need to upgrade your firewall? Uh, Or you just just have to – they just have to trust
3: you. I think it's IT's job to do sizing, right? I mean too many shops don't do sizing before they do deployments, but obviously (laughs) – You know, as engineers, we want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And when you do that sizing, I'm not saying lie, guys, right? I'm not saying size it and then ask for 200% of the sizing. Uh Uh-uh, because that doesn't work, and and you're going to destroy your credibility and your trust. But I am saying that when you legitimately know that... The infrastructure that you're about to put an ERP on is, is going to not be acceptable. I mean, maybe it'll work okay, but when you do your sizing, it's just, it needs replacing. I so, think you need to build that into the project, but be honest about it and talk to the project sponsor and say, hey, we could put this on crappy infrastructure, or <laughs> it could work well and we could put some money in the project to do this. Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, we need to make this project work really, really well.
0: Sounds like there's a pro tip in there for engineers that keeping track of utilization and forecasting is very important to help, helping uh, your manager navigate around constraints.
3: Amen. <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> pro
1: tip. Amen. Preach on. Preach. So we, we touched on this a little bit um, in, I think, Jonathan, something you were saying earlier, and this goes back to framing IT in terms of value it provides to the business rather than being a cost to the business. And how do you do that?
3: Well, my friend Mark Teeley, who's, uh, who's at Switch, once said to me very pithily, IT was not invented to reduce the cost of IT, Right. <laughs> and, I mean, think about it, right? You know, that's crazy. But I think a lot of people sometimes think of IT in that way. And, and for me, if IT can do things that are really important to the mission of the organization, I think all of a sudden money becomes available. I'll give you an example. Probably about five years ago or so... We did some work for our fire department that substantially decreased the amount of time uh, that station alerting happened. And so station alerting is what happens between the time that you call a dispatcher at 911 and then they push a button. And when the firefighters are asleep, uh, tones go off in the fire station, the garage doors go up. Blah blah blah. Right? There's a whole lot of stuff that happens at the dispatch center. Mm-hmm. So when you got to wait 12 more seconds for that, and you've only got five minutes and 12 seconds to get to the site to ensure a good outcome, um, and statistically, that's about the time that you need to get there. Five twelve is is a huge uh, benchmark in in that business. Um. Cutting twelve seconds off is pretty cool, right? And so when you're able to to do that, um you have some very happy firefighters, and you should have a very happy community when you change outcomes, which in this case it it did measurably change outcomes uh for uh, confining a room sorry confining a fire to room and contents that's a big deal right so
1: That's a serious metric.
3: Serious metric, guys.
1: And can you then take that and the next time you have to come and ask for funding for a project, say, remember what we did with the the dispatch and how well that worked out? Can you use that as a note of credibility or something? Or is that just sort of that gets forgotten in the past?
3: (laughs) Well, Alan, you'll probably (laughs) agree with me, but I, I think one of the CIO's primary jobs is to remind uh, customers and employees what has IT done for them lately,
2: right? Yeah, it is, but it's yes. always what have you done for me lately, and it doesn't really yeah. matter in, in a lot of cases.
3: Yep. <laughs> but we do uh, we do an annual report um, that is distributed to management team. We actually do a quarterly report that goes to uh, the city's management team. And uh, I've done that at my last couple of jobs, and I, I find that it really – reduces confusion, and it, it, it also builds credibility. Like you're saying, Drew, uh, number one, here's what we've done, and here are the measurable outcomes. We saved time here. We improved outcomes there. We saved money here. We increased revenue there, right? Everyone loves to read that. But I think you also need to be very honest in your, in your quarterly and annual reporting and say, here's how we screwed up. Right? because if you don't admit when you screw up, nobody's gonna believe you when you said when you say you did great things so right? you would
1: actually put that in a quarterly report here's where we screwed up
3: uh, we have. We're a little bit more politically correct in that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs>
3: challenges and response.
2: Right?
1: Okay.
3: But, so, yeah, persona text is.
2: Was, otherwise
3: known as how we screwed up and what we did about it. <laughs>
2: okay. right? so. Ours were, we do we did annual reports, or we, we we have done annual reports. And really, we hold ourselves to the, our, we hold our own feet to the fire. Uh, this is what we said we were going to do, and this is what we've done. You know, some things we, we hit out of the park, some things... Uh, we have to throw over the wall for another year or some things, um, you know, go well. Some things, you know, are challenged. So, again, it, it's the honesty factor. It's the credibility factor. You know, going back to, to what I just had about uh, what I heard regarding the cost and and, and uh, trimming it uh, from an expense standpoint. You know, no matter how you paint it, no matter what reality you wake up in the next day, IT is going to be a cost center. Always has and always will be. And um, short of... Um, the apocalypse, or whatever else comes down, IT is going to be a cost center. So, you know, you, you've always got to really. Uh, what I what I tell people is, listen, we've got to, uh, we've got to, we've got to mind our own garden here, because if we're not looking at costs from an IT perspective and trimming costs from an IT perspective, then someone else is going to, and that someone else probably is not going to have IT's best interest in uh, at bay when they're trying to start slashing things. So. You know, you basically have to lead with that and show uh, not only what you're spending, but what you're saving as well, too. But, you know, when when it, when it dimes come to a dollar, IT is going to be a cost center, end of line.
1: But you should also be able to demonstrate the value of that cost.
2: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I challenge my team and have to always challenge my team. Justify your presence. Uh, you know, when you start having that as the... Uh, as the backbone of what you do and how you work um, you know it, it really helps uh, your, your, your team can can really blossom because um, we all should be looking at that we're a cost center you know what are we doing what am I doing for my customer um, you know if I got hit by a bus today you know will my customer even notice you know that's that's the <laughs> thing you know and, and well, really they should notice and hopefully they will notice because you know, you, you do need to be making your mark and you really need to be, um, you know, like, like when I first got here, uh, IT was a real command-centric organization. It was one of these things where you do this, you do that, you don't do that, you don't do this. And, and one of the first things that I did when I got here was turn it into a service-centered uh, organization. And I tell you, we just, it was, we went, we went like a rocket. You know, I, I told people and <clears throat> it was one of these cutouts where it was the word no with an X through it. And I tell my team, I said, listen, there's just way too much technology out there. There's way too many solutions out there that we have to tell our customer no. I said, I don't want to hear no. No is not a vocabulary unless we're trying to protect our company's data or protect the company. Okay? okay? I don't want to hear no. I just don't want to hear it. There's too many ways. There's too, too, too many uh, possibilities of us, you know, using our imagination and creativity to, to make it happen. And, uh, you know, there were some people that were, you know you're dragging along in the first part but you know everybody ended up coming on board and you know we were uh, you know the idea is to change the uh, tires on a racing car while the racing car is still running so nice. it's um you know it's worked at, it's worked out pretty well
0: i think so, I, I heard a couple of pro tips in there if it's okay I just see absolutely. if i summarize correctly so one of them is that to actively um... think about maintaining your pub sort of a pr campaign to, to add, to justify your existence and justify the benefit you provide to the company, uh, not so much as a justification that that assumes a defensive posture, but to, um, you know, progressively, proactively out, you know, reach out to communicate the benefits that, that IT is providing. And some of the benefits that can provide is, one, uh, just by thinking about it more and being more mindful about it, you're naturally going to be more oriented that way in your daily work. And then, two, if you're advertising or, or proactively trying to explain the value to your manager, manager or your organization, you can quickly get feedback from them about what they appreciate and what what they don't value. Um, So that might be one one pro tip. And the second pro tip what Alan was saying is no is not a vocabulary. Being a service-oriented organization, think about the possible, not the impossible. Absolutely.
3: Amen. You know, the one one thing that I'd add, Damien, is that I agree with Alan that IT has been a cost center, but I am more and more convinced that the future of IT is as a value center, that, that IT can drive revenue, that IT can make the company more money, that IT applied correctly will help the company itself be more efficient, right? And you hear people talking about digital business and digital transformation, and that's ultimately what it means. My two cents.
0: Um, you know, I, it sounds like we've all had the experience. You you come into an organization, they're still running physical servers, um, they need to modernize. There's some business need that's driving the need to modernize. Uh, should they go to virtualization, skip to hyperconvergence, or migrate completely to the cloud and the SaaS or infrastructure as a service platform? So obviously that's a very open-ended question, but um, when you come into that, what are some, maybe some situations you've seen, or some constraints or business reasons why you think it's good to do one or another?
2: You know, a lot of this is formulaic. I mean, it's a it's a money thing. Um, there's there's situations where maybe um, you know a lot of licensing has already been purchased, a lot of capital expense has already uh, been purchased, and it just makes sense to um, uh, do a private cloud with your own hardware. Uh, again, it's formulaic. Um, I think it really needs to be taken um, pretty much at, at its face, depending on what the uh, what what the, what the task is. You know, uh, in our in our organization, you know, some of the things are, are uh, cloud, some of them are private cloud. Um, you know, I was using hyperconvergence really changed the game, and it is a game changer because you know I'm able to do a private cloud cheaper than most cloud providers. A lot of it, another time, you have to look at it from a staff standpoint. You know, do you have the staffing to support your own hardware? You know, um, you know, a lot of these answers are real easy with small business or people just starting out because you have nothing. So from a, from a uh, again, going back to the formulaic piece, it just makes total sense. Why not pay Microsoft, you know, a couple of hundred dollars a month and, and have my data center and get charged when I'm using it and not charged when I don't use it and just go along and, you know, everything's happy and it's it's rainbows and bunnies. Um, but when you've got, you know, a corporation that's got a lot of money and licensing and a lot of licensing costs, you know, perfect example, Kronos, you know,
3: uh-huh. I
2: tell you, I just, I want to, you wanted to kick this guy from a sales perspective <laughs> because, you know, he knows the situation, but, you know, it was one of these things where, you know, they're, they're selling this thing and, yeah, we can do cloud 20% cheaper, blah, blah, blah. You know, and once you pull back the layers and get to the bottom, it's like, well, you know, you've already bought your licenses, so really it doesn't really make sense to do this because it's more expensive. So you may want to just keep doing what you're doing. So, I mean, again, a lot of this thing you've you really got to get to, uh, you know, it's it's an onion, you got to get back some layers. But, you know, most of it is just a simple calculation. And well, um, I'm usually, interested. Go
0: ahead. I apologize. I, I'm interested to talk a little bit about some of those formulas and calculations. So is there a good, uh, tri- tr- you know, tipping point between you know current investment versus o- avoided future cost. So if you had an infrastructure, you know, and you had a hundred thousand dollar or you know one year left in the infrastructure, versus uh, you know eating that cost but going to a solution that's going to save you money by year three. You know, how, how do you look at that? What's a tipping point when you're looking at that? Well, like-
2: I think you just hit on it, Damien. It's it's basically you know you 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 definitely don't want to. I mean, you've got to be more than a year out at a minimum. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to get flat footed anyway. Uh, You know, perfect example, you know, you look at Microsoft EA agreements, you know, they're three year agreements in most cases. So, you know, what you decide, you know, whether you're going to keep your licensing on your uh, on your equipment, you know, you pay the three years and and go on and you you go along for that for that time frame. Uh, But it's uh, it's it's strategic. You know, you're looking three years down the road. Hey, you know, my hardware is going to be coming up. So, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to replace my hardware. I'm just going to put my exchange in the cloud. So there's a simple calculation, there's a simple formula there that, you know, just makes sense. Um, you know, I can save, you know, X amount of uh, x amount of dollars by putting my exchange on the cloud. Um, but it doesn't work right now, but it's going to work 18, 24 months down the road. And, and a lot of that has to, to come into play uh, when, when you're deciding this. Again, I, going back to that Kronos piece. You know, there's Kronos licensing. I mean, that's a huge purchase. Well, you're, you're in a hard time. Um, Finding a time and finding that bell curve to say, oh, I'm going to save money if I go here," uh, because of that immense purchase and that, it, that, that uh, immense uh, capitalized uh, expense that you've already paid. So, it, you know, it really you just got to you got to you got to put all the uh, the chips on the table and just find out what makes sense. And you know, there's quite a few things that do make sense. And, and, and don't ever underestimate, you know, your staffing. Because everything looks great on a board and on a whiteboard, and look all this money I'm going to save, or you know, either way, whether it's cloud or not cloud. But if you don't have the people uh, behind you to actually do what you're wanting to do, or and and you're uh, you're confident in that regards, then it doesn't matter what you put on the board, and it doesn't matter what formula you give. Um, you've got to be able to drive it.
0: Uh, from a from a follow-up, just analytics point of view, is there any value? Uh, percentage we could give to flexibility so for example when i'm doing my microsoft big giant mega license agreement is it worth me spending 20 percent more to throw in some cows for the cloud and azure to give me that flexibility to start migrating pieces over you know, in the, in, you know during that license term even though i may not actually use it what's the worth uh, how, how can you put a dollar value on flexibility is that is that really uh, something you'd consider
2: I Personally, I wouldn't consider that. Um, you know, you're, there's nothing wrong with putting a few on there for an evaluation or proof of concept, but to, to double bill like that, I, I don't see that there's any benefit. Unless, of course, something else is happening, whether you know your staff is leaving or your hardware is is melted in the next. You know, you got three years, you got to do this, and your and your hardware is going to be out in and, and, and half of that. But again, that's that's really not good planning either, because what are you doing signing a three-year thing when you don't even have hardware to last for three years? So, I mean, again, I that's my that's my personal two cents.
3: I agree unless you're doing risk management, unless you're like, you know, trying to hedge, there's no reason to do that.
0: So, Jonathan, do you think that it might be appropriate when you're looking at the, you know, virtualization hyperconvergence cloud migrations, do you want does it make sense to look at your the services and applications that you deliver as an organization piece by piece or in gr- functional groupings or, you know, what how should one build a strategy Uh, about, you know, moving these things in chunks or all at once.
3: One of the things that I've observed is that when you try to be one size fits all, you end up with very unhappy customers. (laughs)
0: That's true. Uh, That's a pro tip right there. (laughs) That's a pro tip, man.
3: Um, I'm not a huge fan of applying the same template to different situations. I think Alan uh, inferred this earlier, and you really got to let, the application drive what the infrastructure looks like, because I can't, I mean, Alan talked about uh, one application, and I'll talk about another, there was a document imaging app that they said, oh yeah, you can run it in the cloud, and then we started (laughs) doing it. It was a premises app, man, you know, and we started looking at how much it was going to cost us to run in the cloud, and it was stupid, there was no reason to do it, right? (laughs) Whereas we're looking at another document imaging app um, that's much cheaper to run in the cloud. Why? Because it's native. Because it spins up resources when it needs it, and it spins them down when it doesn't. Whereas the legacy system just required you know 24 by 7 cloud servers that you're paying for. And so that application, because that new application, because it's cloud aware, can actually save us money. Um, the other thing that I think is really, really important for your listeners to know, another pro tip, is it ticks you off when finance tells you how to do IT, and it should tick finance off when IT tells them how to do finance. And so my point is, when you're looking at financial models and when you're looking at cost models, bring them
0: to the table. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense.
2: Damien, and we and we've talked this point as well too, and I can't stress it enough. I give this, I give the story. I met, <clears throat> I, I meet with my CEO every week. I go to his office and we talk through what's happening and what I'm doing. He's only been in my office in four years. He's been in my office two times. Okay, and it was two days in a row, and AT and T had delisted our phone number. And nobody could call us. Okay, <laughs> so all I could do was call. AT&T every 15 and 30 minutes and ask them, is it up yet? Is it up yet? Is it up yet? Okay. When you go to the cloud, in most cases, you're giving up that control of downtime. Okay. And when something goes down and it will go down, it's not a matter of if, it will go down. All you can do is pick up the phone and call and ask, is it up yet? If you've got that on your own prim. And it's under your control, you know exactly who you're going to talk to, you know exactly what you're going to do, and you have a lot more control over that uptime and downtime. So never lose focus of that. And considering we were a public company, that that, that hammered greatly on whether we were going to go to the cloud or not on a particular application.
0: Well, gentlemen, uh, we're, I've had such a wonderful time speaking with you guys, uh, it, but we are running a kind of bit late. I wondered if you enjoyed it enough that you might come back to do a part two sometime when your schedules allow <laughs> allowed to finish some of these topics.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just let me know, Damien.
0: Thanks for joining us on The Next Level. I'm Damien Hoising. You can contact me at Damien at PacketBrigade.com. I blog on PacketBrigade.com and hopefully Packet Pushers in the future.
1: And I'm Drew Conry murray You can find my blogs on PacketPusher.net and follow me on Twitter at Drew underscore
2: CM.
0: Alan, how can folks get in touch with you? Are there any particular links or, or references you'd like to share?
2: Um, sure. I'm available anytime. Uh, you can get me an uh, email, probably the best, uh, aingram at ingramatics.com.
1: And but Jonathan, Jonathan uh, how can folks get in touch with you?
2: Probably the best way for folks to
3: stay in touch with me is to join my list at uh, Feldman.org. I share technology leadership tips and insider stories that I don't always share publicly. Ooh,
1: insider.
3: Uh, yeah. So publicly, my Twitter handle is Feldman, which I think Packet Pusher's uh, audience probably appreciates that leading underbar, right? <laughs> um, and packet pushers, friends and family, are also welcome to sign up for my IT leadership bootcamp course. Uh, there's a waiting list at go.feldman.org/slash packet pushers, and that includes a deep dive on IT financial literacy as well as some useful templates.
1: Yeah, and we'll make sure to have links to all of that in the show notes uh, for the blog that will accompany this podcast. Uh, thanks to our guests, Alan and Jonathan. Really appreciate the insights. I think it was a really good discussion. And for the listeners, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can leave comments on the blog post that accompanies this podcast on PacketPusher.net or drop us a line at
0: packetbrigade.com. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your time today. hope everybody has a wonderful day.
3: Thank you. Have a great one, guys.